longer a slave to fear. Children of God, thank you, worship team. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that we are your children. We thank you how you have set up your program of salvation, your works in our lives and on this earth. We pray that we could come to know you better as we look into your scriptures so that we could place our trust more fully in you and just worship you and follow you for all that you do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Is there a formula for Christian success or Christian life or ministry success? You know, something that I've mentioned a number of times, a good number of times during these recent years is how so many people who claim to be Christians are openly turning away from God and turning away from the faith. And the ones that make the news are the ones who have had very strong ministries with lots of followers, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of followers with the internet and that sort of thing. And one very interesting but sad case is the adult son of one of the most highly respected Christian pastors, Christian leaders of our time. And recently retired this Christian pastor after many years of high-level Christian ministry, pastoring, authoring, seminary president, over a million online followers, uh, just, just this, this man who follows the Lord closely. When you listen to him, you can tell he really loves the Lord. But sadly, his adult son, who is very outspoken and has a huge following himself, he publicly works against his father's teachings and beliefs and tries to encourage people to not go in that direction. Now, you know, this son, he grew up believing the gospel message, but at some point in his adult life, he turned away from the faith. Now, sometime later, this is somewhat recent, all of this. <clears throat> sometime later, he turned back to the Lord and was received again into the church as a member. But then not long after that, he walked away again. And that is where he is today. Now, as I have read about some people's journeys away from Christianity, it seems that many will do that because of some kind of disappointment that they have with God. You know, something happens to them or even to somebody close to them and they just think it's so unfair. Why would God do that to somebody? Or how could he let that happen to somebody who's so good, who loves him? And <clears throat> some have looked at suffering in the world in certain places where there's, you know, intense suffering and maybe children suffering. And they'll say, there couldn't be a God to allow that kind of stuff to happen. Now, you know, I know there are other reasons that people turn away from the faith. Some people just want to go back into the world or whatever. But as we've been going through the book of Acts, we see Jesus building his church on the 
rock-solid truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And he also said, I will build my rock, my church on that rock, but he said, and the armies of hell will not be able to overcome it. But now, you know, as we have traveled through a good portion of the book of, of Acts, we have seen very clearly Jesus' wise, powerful influence in the building of his church. We can see Jesus' hand in it, God's hand in it. <clears throat> and at the same time, we have seen Jesus use human instruments to help carry out his plan for building the church. And then we have been told and have seen Satan's influence and his evil work against the church. So then you have all those factors entering into what we call the church, the worldwide church. You have that mix. You have the power of God. You have human efforts, which, is, which can be good or troubling or faltering or whatever. And then you have Satan's part where he's continually attacking the church. So all of that is working together as the church goes forward until God's plan is completed. So I believe anytime we get disappointed with how things go or don't go in the church of Jesus Christ, we have to consider all those influences that God has planned to be a part of the church and the church's journey. And I believe <clears throat> that the amazing thing that we'll, we will see at the end is how in the world did the church even make it to the end? You know, because we have the forces of Satan, we have human error, human goof-ups, all that kind of stuff working against it. But we know how it's going to make it because it'll be the love, wisdom, and power of God, won't it? The power of God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Now, the last thing we saw last Sunday was Paul and Barnabas getting ready to go on another mission to spread the gospel message. They had just been down to Jerusalem talking over that problem about is circumcision needed to be saved for the Gentiles? And there is this strong disagreement, you know, over this issue, and they, they got it worked out. And so they were going to go take that message to the churches that Gentiles do not need to follow the law of Moses to be circumcised, to be part of the church. And then as they were about ready to leave, Paul and Barnabas had this disagreement. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, he was related to him, but John Mark had left them in the last time he was with them, he deserted them. And so Paul said, nope, he can't come, you know, because Paul's so mission-minded. And Barnabas said, we have to take him, because Barnabas is more people-minded. Both are good, aren't they? And people take different sides on who was right, Paul or Barnabas. You know, people that are more tuned in to people, they'll say Barnabas is right. And people who are more tuned in to the, getting the mission done will say Paul was right. But <clears throat> they, they went different directions. Paul chose Silas, and Barnabas took John Mark. Barnabas went, 
through Cyprus, who they went sailing the, the sea and towards the island of Cyprus. And, um, or they headed towards Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas, and they took the land route. They're going up towards Turkey, present-day Turkey. So let's look at these first three verses of Acts chapter 16 as they start out on their ministry. Actually, Luke just start, starts following, writing about Paul's part of the ministry. <clears throat> he says, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was Greek. <clears throat> so Paul and Silas go to Derby. They want to strengthen the churches. They want to take them into deeper into their Christian faith. They want to keep teaching them. And they also want to tell them about, you know, that you don't need to be circumcised in order to be a Christian if you're a Gentile. But here's the strange sounding part. It says, Paul circumcises Timothy. <clears throat> now, why would he do that after they just went through that whole battle of, do you have to be circumcised in order to be saved? Well, it says, he did it because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So, Paul did that in order to remove a stumbling block to the Jews, because they were going to talk to Jews mainly in their, in their uh, outreach. <clears throat> he didn't do it because it was required for salvation. He did it because the Jews in the area would be more apt to listen to him because, you know, his father was Greek, his mother was a Jew. It would be more apt that they would listen to him if if Timothy came across more as a Jew. So now look at verses 4 through 5 after that decision. <clears throat> as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. <clears throat> so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Okay, so they removed the potential stumbling block of Timothy not being circumcised because they were going to be talking to Jews. And the churches said, Luke says, the churches were strengthened and grew in number. So that's good. It had a good result. And that's what, you know, Paul did. He wanted to do everything for the ministry in order to have people come to know Christ. And so that was his decision and looked like it worked out well. And now we move on to the next phase of Paul's ministry. And we're going to see, we said that, you know, <clears throat> as the church is built, there's God's involvement, there's man's involvement, there's Satan's involvement, there's people making mistakes, there's people doing good. So it's all of that into one pot. And we're going to see here more of God's involvement as Paul and his companions travel. It says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia, in Galatia, 
having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So the Spirit wouldn't let them go to certain places. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So here again, the Spirit's stopping them from going to a certain place. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. After Paul had seen the vision, whoops, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. <clears throat> Seems that's, this is when Luke joins their team. Now, you know, we've been talking about those different elements of going into building the church. And there were many places where Paul, Barnabas, or others make decisions based upon their own reasoning. In some places it says, it seemed good to us to do this. We also find, <clears throat> and we even said, that God himself was involved in the process. And we saw just then how he was. He stopped them from going to certain places. But he didn't make every decision for them. He didn't make every decision for them by direct communication. But here, the Holy Spirit stops them from preaching in the province of Asia. But later on, they do preach in the province of Asia and build churches there. The Spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to go into Bithynia. So they go to Troas, and from there, Paul sees this vision of this Macedonian telling him to come and preach the gospel to them. So you see, God is in this very directly. <clears throat> it's hard to tie God down to a certain formula, isn't it? I mean, we see things happening in different ways in so many different places. God doesn't seem to work by mathematical equations. Like he will always do this. And if I do this, he will always answer this way. Now, I know in the Gospels, it does say something about them casting lots in order to replace Judas as an apostle. But that doesn't seem to carry on. I mean, you don't see the apostles doing that when they're making decisions. It doesn't seem to become a consistent practice. You know, in some places, God tells them clearly or stops them from going to a certain place. In other places, you know, they will say, it seemed good to us, or they concluded. So, is there a formula for Christian success? Let's keep looking. <clears throat> Paul sees this vision, this man begging him to come over to Macedonia and help us. And it says that he concludes that God was calling them to preach the gospel there. So it wasn't like God told him, you know, directly, without any doubt, to go. But he said, that vision tells me we're supposed to go. Now I want you to look at verses 11 through 15. It says, from Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day we went on to Neapolis. 
From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. So he's following that, that lead. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer because that was what would happen when there was no synagogue. A lot of times people would gather at the river and pray. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of the listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. <clears throat> so God seemingly directs them to Philippi. Philippi was a prominent city in that district of Macedonia. On the Sabbath, they go to the river expecting to find a place of prayer. And here they meet Lydia, a worshiper of God, and her heart is open to the gospel as they preach it. She and her, the members of her household all get baptized as they turn to the Lord in faith. And they end up staying at her house at her request. So <clears throat> it's like you can't predict which move will turn into something really significant. Even if something happened yesterday this way, you don't know if it's going to happen that way again tomorrow. And we can't really come up with a surefire formula that will always produce a positive result or always end in someone coming to Christ or making a certain ministry a great success. But when we make a decision to follow the Lord in our lives, when we make decisions to work, to do our work to honor him and to live our lives to please him, our actions, our speech, our interactions with others, our prayer lives, filling our minds with his word. When we walk in that kind of a pathway, we will meet up with God's blessings. It's not formulaic. It's just living lives for him, isn't it? Because we can't really come up with a solid formula for every instance. Sometimes things work, sometimes they don't. But we can choose a lifestyle that is very consistent. And you know, in that same line of thought, <clears throat> we also don't have formulas that will assure us of never facing trials, do we? In fact, the Bible tells us we will face trials. And the Bible shows us that trials build our spiritual strength. God uses trials strategically in our lives. But again, if we stay close to the Lord in our daily lives, that will be our best answer for facing trials. He will help us through them. He won't always allow us to escape, to, to sidestep them. But he will help us through them and then they will make us stronger. 
Now we come to our last section this morning. And again, we're looking for this formula for success. And this, this uh, passage is quite a passage. It has about every element we've been talking about this morning, all in this one passage. But look at verses 16 through 24 here. <clears throat> Once when we were going to the place of prayer, they're going to the same place where they met Lydia. And so, you know, great success last time, right? Lydia was so positive about it. She took them home. They all got baptized. Let's try it again. <clears throat> Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. <clears throat> now, it seems pretty clear that this female slave had an evil spirit. I think we all can see that. And I'm sure she was not very much help to Paul and Silas to be able to share the gospel with people. These men are servants of the Most High God. And just bothered Paul so much because she was coming from an evil side and I'm sure what she was doing was not helping. She was not good advertisement for them. So we can see why Paul did what he did. But now, <clears throat> doing what he did, he made the slave owners very angry. He was taking a great deal of money from their fortunes. And Paul and Silas were dragged into the marketplace to face the authorities. And they accused them of advocating unlawful customs. I'm sure they were really worried about those customs. But the crowd joined in the attack, joined in on the attack. They were stripped and beaten with rods, thrown in prison, told the guards to guard them very carefully, took them to the inner cell with their feet in stocks. Now, to say that they were now in a bad place wouldn't even come close to how bad it was, would it? And here again, there is no formula for guaranteed success, is there? 
they went to the same place where they met Lydia, who responded positively to their message. She and her whole household gets baptized. She gives them a place to stay. So here they return to the same place and wham, arrested, beaten, imprisoned, beaten stocks. So now what? Can't get a formula off of that, can you? Well, look at 25 through 34, see what happens here. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. <clears throat> I think it's interesting that Luke says, talks about the other prisoners listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. And usually in those days, if somebody let prisoners escape, they would be killed. <clears throat> but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and, all, and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them washed their wounds, then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought, brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. <clears throat> Talk about unpredictable. <laughs> you go from Lydia, totally positive, you return to the same place, wham! They were seized, dragged, taken to the authorities. Crowds join in on the attack, stripped, beaten, thrown into prison, put into the cell with fastened, in fastened stocks. I mean, you know they were hurting badly, beaten with rods. But at midnight, they start praying and singing hymns to God. And the others are listening. It, it, it really, you know, enters their mind of what these people are doing. They're <clears throat> it's really getting, getting to them. And then this violent earthquake breaks loose. You know, God's part, right? The prison foundation shakes. Prison doors fly open. All the prison doors, it says. Everyone's chains come loose. The jailer draws his sword to kill himself. Paul shouts at him not to kill himself. No one has escaped. The jailer falls down before Paul. He brings them out. He asks him, what must I do to be saved? Wow. The workings of God, isn't it? Could we have planned it? 
their formula. They tell him about Jesus Christ. His whole household turns to the Lord. All of them even get baptized. The jailer washes their wounds, sets meals before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to know the Lord. And as he and his whole household turned to God. Now, can you develop a formula for success out of that? I've got one. Stay true to God no matter what. Even when your feet are in stocks, right? The formula is faithfulness. Never turn away from God. Even if it seems you aren't being treated fairly. It doesn't mean we have to stay in horrible circumstances if there is an honorable way out. But it does mean we never, ever give up on God, no matter what is happening. And you know, today, so many are going to be so unbelievably sorry when they stand before the Lord and they thought, I had it and I walked away. Just because, you know why? Because they couldn't put the pieces together. They were going through something and it just didn't seem right. You know, good people were getting punished. People didn't respond to my, my love for them. You know, whatever it is that doesn't seem fair. And, and we, we hear so many, like I said, walking away because they can't put the pieces together. And it doesn't fit according to what they think should happen. But boy, nothing here fit, did it? It was all opposite of what we would have thought. But God put the pieces together, didn't he? You know, if we, if we look at something and say, well, <clears throat> I can't do here what God wants because he's not helping me. That's really putting ourselves in the place of God because we're now we're deciding what God must do. But the formula is never turn away from God. Now, let me read the last several verses, 35 through 40. And watch how Paul makes his enemies squirm a little bit. It says, when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And that there were severe penalties if you hurt a Roman citizen, if you did not give them their rights. And now do they want to get rid of us now? And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, 
they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. So he made them squirm a little bit. He probably did that for future missionaries who would come through so that they might have a freer way into the people. And, and the enemies ended up groveling. But we, we have to admire the bravery and faithfulness of our Christian forefathers, don't we? <clears throat> and may we take after them and certainly not after those who turn away. May we take after those who always are faithful to God, no matter what happens, no matter how much it hurts. And again, the formula is never turn away from God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that there is so much information in, our, in the Bible about the way you work. And Lord, if we pay attention to that, if we really see all the different things, the way things can go, then we will know that we can't just put you into one little square box and say, this is the way it's always going to happen. And so you do that so we have to live by faith. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to live by faith. Help us to encourage others to live by faith. And Lord, we just pray that you would strengthen our faith, strengthen our resolve, help us to keep our eyes upon you, give us insight into your word, and, and help us to encourage each other. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.